The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome, everybody, to an episode of uh, the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast that would have been, would have been a political triad. Unfortunately, Andrew Heaton had uh, uh, another engagement that was more important than our recording date, but to to make up for it, we are we are not just going to replace Andrew Heaton with one person. Nay, we will replace them with two friendly voices to the show. But before we get to that, we have to talk to somebody coming live and direct from Portugal. Jen Briney, what's going on? Hola, not too much. How are you doing? How long have you been in Portugal? I have been here for five weeks and I still have a month to go. Holy moly. How are you? Yeah. Is So is, uh, sangria is, is a Spanish thing or is that a, a larger regional thing? Like uh, uh, where, how many, uh, what, what is a typical afternoon in Portugal? So for people that are not allergic to wine, I think they do drink sangria and gotcha. wine, but I can't and it sucks. <laughs> because it, it's around. There's there's a lot of rounds. Yeah. Um, So like Joe has been having beers. We're actually talking about our next international trip being Warsaw so that I can get my vodka fix. Sure. (laughs) So, yeah, it's um, it's a great place, though. And it's it's really nice to be here now because it's the most vaccinated country in the world and people wear masks and don't scream at each other about it. And everything is open. So we've actually just there's a piece here that I'm really, really enjoying. Well, you know, it's funny that, that, that you say that, cause I actually just saw some, some stats on uh, using Portugal as an example, comparing COVID stats because they are extremely vaccinated and, and you know, the Omicron, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm really just excited for five years from now when absent all the PTSD of COVID, we can actually just kind of dive into the numbers and understand what this disease is and was, but uh, uh, we're, 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 we're not introducing our other two members of our political quartet uh, uh, today. First uh, live with me here in the studios in Austin. It is the one, the only Brian Brushwood. Look, I can only bring so much Andrew Heaton. So what I've done is I've dressed entirely in tweed. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm wearing platform <laughs> lifts, so I'm taller. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'm very anxious about the temperature in the room. No, no BS. Yesterday, when he was trying to uh, not be, uh, leave me in a content hole, he literally said in in half a panic, hey, by the way, I can talk for 30 minutes about PJ O'Rourke if you desperately need it, which is maybe one of the most Andrew Heaton sentences that have, have ever uh, come out of that man's mouth. Uh, uh, also joining us in a value add surprise proposition. He is the host of the Daily Tech News Show. He is also our UK correspondent live from Los Angeles. It is Tom Merritt. Yes, I uh, I make the other half of Andrew Heaton. Uh, I'm from Southern Illinois, uh, so with Brian in Texas, I feel like that averages to Oklahoma. Yes, I feel like yeah, we we can we can uh, uh, add them both together and divide by two, and 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 that that would be where it is. Uh, uh, let's start with our main topic here. The hell is happening? What the hell is happening with Ukraine? What the hell is happening with Russia? We're, we're dealing with a lot of. Things that I don't generally trust. I generally don't trust things that come out of the Kremlin. I generally don't trust 
things, increasingly things that come out of the State Department when uh, I tend to now, especially post-Afghanistan, the moment that the Biden administration is very confident about something, I immediately get less confident about it because they were very confident that nothing was going to happen in Afghanistan and then everything happened in Afghanistan almost comically, uh, uh, you know, diametrically opposite from what they had predicted. So I, I, I feel like there's only one window I'm going to be able to jump in. Go. Contribute. Go. Like my my contribution, my gift is uh, having wasted two full hours last night knowing we were going to do this. Yeah. Like uh, I understand there's the real reason you go to war and then there's the fake stated reason that you go to war. Sure. You know, for uh, Iraq, it was weapons of mass destruction when in fact, really uh, looking back on it, even in the moment, it was pretty clear that the U.S. military operation thought it would be a pretty good idea to try to have a strong foothold in that region to uh, as a base of operations, which is why even though the war is quote, quote unquote over, we're no longer occupying. We just happen to have an embassy with 50,000 troops there. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, But I can't even find, as I'm Google News in it, what the fake pretext for Russia to invade Ukraine is supposed to be. I can't find what the fake reason that the US, U.S. is stating we have to be deeply concerned about. Uh, instead, it's all about whether or not it's going to happen and all of the you know cyber warfare about to begin, misinformation about to begin. Uh, Jen, you obviously have a, a slightly more regionally uh, 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 aware perspective there. Uh, uh, how is this being covered out there in Portugal? So what's fascinating to me is how much it's not. It's being, not at all. It's nobody's business in Portugal. I wouldn't say it's not at all because it's been weird how much CNN has been on the, the screens when I'm around places, but that's the only place I'm seeing it. It's not on the front page of the papers when I'm sitting in restaurants or just out and about like the word Ukraine is not in my ears. Like there's no panic about it here. And I was reading um, the French press this morning and they're really looking at our role in this as instigators. Like so much of this, even though it's between Ukraine and Russia, we are at the center of it. And we have been for a very long time. And I don't think based on my, you know, I'm looking at Twitter and I've been following this Ukraine thing ever since, well, our country in 2013 or 2014 orchestrated a coup in that country. And ever since then, we've been providing money and weapons to the new government to keep them in power. Um, this all started over a trade agreement in 2013. The president there pulled out of a trade agreement with the EU at the very last minute. And that's what got the gears turning. Um, and essentially the people that are in charge now are the people that did that. Like there was a, a phone call that is well known all over the world outside of the United States where Victoria Newland, who is now the number two in our state department, she's literally the person doing the negotiations on our behalf with Russia. It was her and our ambassador planning who would go into the next government of Ukraine. And this was leaked three weeks before the coup. And the person that she named as the person she wanted in charge was in fact put in charge. And that person did in fact then sign the trade agreement with the EU. Ever since then, we have provided hundreds of millions of dollars and God only knows how many weapons because they can come from defense and state. Like we really don't know. Um, but we have been building them a military this yeah. whole time. So if you look at it from the Russian perspective, that happened during the Obama administration. The person who's the highest up that we know was involved in this they they say that they orchestrated the coup. Obviously, there were Ukrainians involved. Yeah, I, I was I, I was, was I was going to say because the one thing that and and I have a, a baseline understanding of this, and you are you are far more read up on it than I am. But whenever the United States is discussed in any kind of foreign affairs thing, there always is this fuzzy line between the United States demanded or the United States dictated or the United States organized and the fact that the United States is the richest and most influential country in the world for any kind of foreign affairs thing that it's like, you know, how much of it is this needs to happen versus a somebody rid me of this meddlesome bishop situation where people are going to fill in the power vacuum, knowing that being an ally of the United States 
States is a usually good career move in any kind of international capacity. Yes. Yes. And for the people that have been ruling Ukraine, they're now very much a part of the World Trade Organization system. Um, And so they have been rewarded with that with IMF money and with lots and lots of weapons. And the people that, you know, wanted this in the Obama administration, the in that phone call that was leaked that the whole world knows about, Joe Biden was specifically named as the person who got the deets to stick in the words of Victoria Newland. So think about it from Russia's perspective. We've had four years of Trump where the weapons kept flowing, but Trump's thing was not NATO. Like Trump was yeah. not a person that was trying to expand NATO. And now who's in charge of the United States? Joe Biden himself, and he has empowered, he has promoted Victoria Newland. And so if you look at that and then you look at NATO and how close it's getting to Russia's border and NATO is an anti-Russia alliance, they mince no words in our official laws and our official documents. So if you look at it from his perspective, that is a threat to him. And so I don't know if there actually is an invasion being planned, I don't trust the Biden administration on this as far as I can throw them. Um, so I don't, I don't know the details and I don't really know what to believe, except I do know from actually watching Vladimir Putin be interviewed in Russia that what he wants is to not have NATO in Ukraine. He doesn't want to and like you can see why, you know, like it's an alliance. Well, but, but, that, that's, but that's that's not gonna happen right like exactly it, yeah it's not ukraine is not going to become a nato country for a bunch of different reasons uh, uh, uh let, let's begin with the the bureaucratic ones of how many people need to sign off on it it's going to be too fraught of a situation uh, uh for that for that ever to happen the question is what is happening now you have given certainly a very nuanced perspective so i'm going to uh, switch it over to tom now that we've gotten the kremlin perspective uh from uh, uh from 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 jen here uh well can i interrupt let's, just let's, one second uh, one yeah. second because I, I, yeah, I did sorry. have a second was, thing okay there sorry. was an agreement I was trying to make a joke yeah it's important I'm sorry it's just okay, it's go, important. go go so, go 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 it's two things it's not just NATO there All was right. an agreement in 2015 between Russia Ukraine it was unanimously signed upon in the UN it's called the Minsk agreement where that whole region that they're fighting about there is an agreement that that's supposed to be independent and Ukraine is not upholding their end of that bargain. So when you look at what does Putin want here, I think it's not having NATO even be pretending like they're going to expand an invitation to NATO. Yeah. And I think it's also they want that region to be independent. This is, this, this, so, this, this is the, 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 the Donbass region. Yes. In, and so the north. I, yeah. Yes. And so I think we're we're witnessing a giant game of chicken. Uh, also, if, if, if we're correcting, if we're rebalancing right now, I get to walk back my 50,000 troops. That's what it was when uh, we officially entered the war. Now it's down to only like 3,000 troops. In, in Iraq. Yes. Yeah, in Iraq. Okay. 3,000 troops in a embassy that looks a lot like the military base. Right. Correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Tom, uh, this is all clear, right? Everybody knows exactly what's happening and, and all of the uh, ink spilled on this totally makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we're, I think we're done here. Yeah. That's a win for everybody. Uh, no, I, my qualifications to talk on this, uh, are the following. I, uh, dated a Ukrainian girl in college. Okay. Uh, so I, I know about the Samopovich Bank in Chicago. Uh, I, uh, took Russian for three years in college and I wrote a poli sci paper in 1991 about Crimea. So there you go. Okay. That's uh that 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 that's that's my qualifications here. Congratulations, your resume is approved. When can <laughs> you start? <laughs> so the 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 Ukrainian question is a very long historical question. Ukraine it literally means borderland. Uh and whether it is part of Russia, should be part of Russia, should not be part of Russia, has long been a, a, a bitter battle. And it depends on who you ask. Uh, when Ukraine was part of the USSR, it was just basically assumed 
yeah, it's its own SSR, but really Russia. And they put a lot of Russian people into Ukraine. A lot of those people are in the Donbass region. In fact, the president that, that Jen was referring to earlier, who was removed in questionably legal uh, circumstances, uh, was from uh, Donetsk. He was, he was from the Donbass region. Uh, so he was a Russian, ethnically Russian, Russian-speaking person. He was favorable to the Kremlin. Uh, they replaced him with people from the other part of the country that were more favorable to the United States. So this is this is a historical thing that goes back centuries, whether Crimea should belong to Russia or not, whether the Ukraine itself should belong to Russia or not. And the other thing I look at is Putin's strategy of taking little bites out of the former uh, USSR. Uh, he's, he's done this in lots of places, uh, Chechnya and others. Uh, and it looks like that's what he's been doing in Ukraine. He's been trying to take back the Russian dominant section of Ukraine, the Donbass, uh, by putting in support that he denies, but everybody kind of thinks is happening for the Donbass rebels, for the Russian speaking people there. And this seems like a really unusually loud version of that. Uh, the other thing he's trying to do is, is what Jen talked about, is keeping NATO out of Ukraine. Uh, there's a lot of pressure from the Baltic states, from Lithuania, Latvia, uh, Estonia, uh, to, to keep them safe because they're part of NATO uh, and, and to keep pressure up to keep Ukraine out of Russia's sphere of influence. And of course, that makes Russia want to keep Ukraine in its sphere of influence. So I think what we're seeing here is probably a little more intense than Putin has done in the past, partially because of other domestic pressures on him. There's a there's a lot more domestic unrest, things going on in Siberia that are anti-Putin that you don't hear about uh, anywhere outside of Russia. And so he needs to make a strong show of force. So he's making a stronger show of force right now with Ukraine than he would normally in order to really push the U.S. and the rest of Europe to back off and not... Uh, not look at possibly admitting Ukraine into NATO. Uh, I don't think he wants to invade and conquer Ukraine at this point. He probably would love an excuse to go into the Donbass uh, and bring it yeah. uh, farther in, probably as an independent, like get, you know, do what he's done elsewhere, where he declares an independent uh, part of a country and then, you know, supports it. Uh, but I think he's making, my my guess is, I think he's making a big a stink right now uh, not because he wants to invade. It would be a bad idea for Russia to invade, but to make it clear that if there is any movement towards bringing Ukraine into NATO, this is what you'll get. You you weren't even doing anything uh, very seriously towards that right now. And this is what I did. Imagine what would happen if you're you're looking at actually putting them through the process. Looks like the response has been, well, then we're going to get more serious about putting them through the process. So, yeah, it becomes a game of chicken. But here's okay. But this is where the disconnect happens for me, because uh, and and I'm going to base this entirely on the fact that every once in a while I'm a contributor on the Russia Today Network, which uh, is English language and is directed toward an English language audience. And uh, when they have me on to talk about non this related stuff, it's usually American politics stuff. I will usually wind up watching the first few segments before mine. And normally it's either European centric or it might be American political centric that leans right. Lately, it has all been about this. And the message for this state run channel is very clear. The United States and the United Kingdom are making a gigantic stink out of literally nothing. This was a pre-planned war game that we were that we were having in Belarus and in 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 uh, the south of Crimea in the Black Sea. That's all that's happening. The only reason why this is any kind of a news story outside of uh, Russian military hawks. Uh, who want to see how this war game is playing out is the fact that Boris Johnson is in trouble and Joe Biden is in trouble. And that is the entire reason that any of this is happening, which of course makes me suspicious about, well, that seems a little neat. Uh, 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 I don't know if I totally trust all that, but at the same time, I also don't know why it's not like we were at the cusp of a NATO meeting and there was all of a sudden, you know, the, the French prime minister and, and the new German uh, president comes in and says, you want to know what? It's time. 
Ukraine should join NATO. And there was a drum roll on that. And then we saw a Russian pushback. Now, maybe there's some backroom uh, 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 thoughts on that. But Brian, you just did the rundown on this, like literally looking for any kind of context here. I feel like we've gotten between uh, uh, Jen and and Tom, we've gotten more than than I've been able to find. And, and this is after active looking for what it's worth. Like all of the stories boil down to will Russia invade? What will the U.S. do? How much do we want to participate in a hot land war and so on? Um, but after hearing the context uh, uh, from Jen and Tom, it makes me feel uh, uh, a little bit like these are echoes of the proxy wars that we fought in the uh, 80s uh, at the height of the Cold War, where, no, we're not going to actually have a war with Russia. We're going to find these banana republics and we're going to you know, fund communists who fight you know, corrupt capitalists. And, and, yeah. and hopefully they're more one color than the other, uh, politically speaking. Uh, and so likewise... If if the real issue is whether it's a retaliation for too much success in in uh, Russian involvement in our political machine uh, or or what have you, uh, there's what's happening above the surface that we yeah. can see reported on. But below the surface, I can absolutely imagine a lot of funneling of of money and influence of power to the next door neighbor of Russia. Russia saying like, okay, okay, look, uh, we got you good on that one thing. Uh, again, this is my civilization game playing brain kicking in. Like we tried to win a cultural victory uh, and and we did pretty good. Now you're being real pieces of work with trying to win an economic victory uh, in our back door with and build up all this influence. So now we're going to take our military might not cross the border. We're just going to dance all around it. And yeah. who knows if we're really lucky, maybe one of our planes accidentally slips up on the other. And now we have a pretext to do a little dust up over here, but whatever it is, it'll keep you guys. It, it'll, it'll, it'll bloody your nose just enough so that you know that, that we're serious about not allowing Ukraine to join NATO or, or what have you. I get But still, even then I, I, I can't, I I don't have the context, the narrative context as somebody who follows this fairly closely for why that would be the case now. But but uh, before we go further down that rabbit hole, Jen, let me ask you this question from the American political perspective. Uh, there does. This is what Russia's saying. You've seen you, you see this a lot, uh, uh, you know, on on the Internet that like this is wag the dog uh, inflation, super high. Uh, all of Joe Biden's. Uh, political aspirations in the Senate have totally come crashing down around him. It looks like the Democrats are going to take an absolute uh, uh, boat racing in the midterms. And this is a way to have people talk about anything else other than uh, uh, Joe Biden's record. Do you think that that holds water? Like even let, let's let's indulge the conspiracy and say this is totally planned from the Biden administration to work up a lot of uh, uh, a lot of dust that distracts from what is happening. It doesn't seem to me that that is even really coherent. I don't think that the Biden administration looks particularly great right now. No, if anything, what I'm seeing on Twitter is there's a lot of unity around like, why is Biden behaving like this? Like, why are they ratcheting up the rhetoric? Like, there's a lot of Americans now that are talking about NATO that weren't before, that weren't aware even what it is. So it's if that's the plan, it's backfiring. But I don't think that's the plan. Like during the primaries, one of my major concerns about Joe Biden being the nominee was at some point I was like, we're going to get after it with Russia over Ukraine. So it's like, this has been a sticking point for a long time. And like, this was entirely predictable. As soon as I saw that he rehired Victoria Newland, like this was inevitable. And when it comes to this whole NATO thing, it might not feel like there was a big NATO event, but there's a boiling frog situation that's been going on for over a year. So first of all, Russia, this is not their first military buildup on Ukraine's border since Biden became president. It happened last year at almost the same troop numbers. So I don't yeah. really understand what the huge difference is. And after some sanctions, we're not sure if that's what caused it, but Russia pulled back. Um, there is truth to the fact that they do these military drills and um, this was scheduled. So there is some truth to that. But then we're also not looking at the fact that like NATO, Russia pulled their offices out of Brussels last year after a 
disastrous meeting where they actually had to lift some sanctions on Victoria Newland because that's who we wanted to send to negotiate on our behalf. So they yeah. lift those sanctions. We lift some, she goes over there and whatever happens in the weeks after that, Russia pulled their people out of the NATO offices. Now they still have diplomatic relations with the individual NATO countries, but that was a really big break. So this issue with Russia and NATO has been building since Biden became the president. And because we don't pay attention to this in the States, that's why this feels kind of all of the sudden, but it really isn't. And we're also forgetting the Belarus factor There was a bill that I read and it's escaping me exactly which one it is, but buried in that bill, we vastly expanded our sanctions against Belarus. So we, we essentially have declared economic war on Belarus and this has been going on for a long time, but since Biden became president, we expanded those to the point that very many Russians for, I mean, we're talking like people that have just had like kind of passing relations with the Belarusian um, government. We can sanction now a lot of people, and I'm not sure how much Joe Biden is using those powers, but you can also see when we talk about these troop deployments, a lot of them are in Belarus. They are all up in this too, and that's not being discussed at all. So there's just, there's a lot of different factors here. And if you've been watching this the whole time, there's a progression that does make sense to getting to this point where Putin's basically being like, I have weapons too, assholes. So yeah. And, and, and so wants to just, you know, uh, uh, demonstrate that, that, uh, Ukraine crossing that line into being a NATO country would be something that would be costly. And so this would be mm-hmm. looked at better as both sides auditioning for what happens if, and when Ukraine becomes a NATO country and, and Russia saying, this is how many people we can put on that border at, at the snap of a finger And the United States saying these are the sanctions that we would put on you if and when you ever retaliated for something like that. Yeah. And the thing is, like Russia learned during the Obama administration over Syria that when they showed their military might against us, when, you know, Assad basically asked them to protect his government, it worked. Like Assad is still the president. So it's like when you show America that they're willing to fight back, he has some precedent for seeing this very person. Joe Biden was in the Obama administration. He's seen it work. So he doesn't necessarily have to go to full-blown war, just has to show he's willing to. Hey guys, Justin here. Uh, Real quick, we're going to take a timeout in this debut episode of the Political Quartet So, we can let you know that the reason why this happens is because of all the fine folks who head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You head on over there. We are going to give you something for your money. If you sign up at the $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. It comes in a very, very easy-to-use RSS feed. You enter it into any podcatcher of your choice, and that's it. Set it and forget it. It just is there for you. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And, you know, I I actually make reference to uh, uh, an episode that came out yesterday on the uh, uh, PX3 $3 episodes. And and a lot of the context for what, actually, I I make two references. Uh, One thing that happened on the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition, that comes out uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. It is designed to be the first political podcast that you listen to each and every week. We get you ready for everything else. Because let me let me just put it out there. The point of the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show is to give you the context for which all of the political arguments you're about to hear for the rest of the week are framed. I'm not saying that I'm able to see through them. I'm saying that I'm able to catalog them. So at the very least, you are not going into the week empty handed. And then the Thursday edition, especially when we're talking about late breaking stuff like war or I mean, hell, we don't even get into it in this episode. But by the way, the government might run out of money. The latest news that we talk about on this show is on the Sunday or sorry, on on the uh, emergency, the late edition that comes out. On Thursday. 
And by the way, while we are here, a reminder that you can also give us a one-time donation by going to paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything physical you'd like in the mail to P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Uh, Please head on over to... Uh, px3guest.com to let Jen Briney know that you very much appreciate her taking time out of her Portugal uh, afternoon to be with us. And one more time, the $10 tier on takepoliticsseriously.com. Get your name read this time in the middle of the podcast. Idris Arslandi and DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, U- Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman or spy. D. Really? Invoke Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo. Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley Steven, Diana's Silent Slumbers, Katie Stetch, Adam L., Double K Ranch, The Old Pinball Shop, John, The Opposing Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil Patel, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, J. Pink, and Andrew. You want your name read on this show, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you to everybody who has supported us. Back to the show. That would also disincentivize, uh, you know, because the, the Biden, the line from the Biden administration, and this is why I, I don't buy the idea that this is wag the dog, because they are kind of back to the same situation they were with Syria, where, uh, uh, you know, they were getting made fun of by by you know Trump when he was running for being drawing lines in the sand that everybody will walk over and then nothing ends up happening. And and obviously, while the, the Trump foreign policy uh, was let me just uh, uh, tweet, I will launch a nuclear weapon on Twitter. <laughs> uh, uh, that is a slightly different way than the, you know, Obama State Department. Let's have 50 meetings that discuss 50 different red lines that eventually all get crossed through the you know process of six months. That was the, the, the meat of it is that Trump says, look, we're going to lead with the worst case scenario for you. Should you try to cross us? And the Obama administration, even now is like, it's going to be very bad for Russia. Very bad. All these oligarchs, we're going to seize your yachts. We're going to freeze your bank <laughs> accounts. You're going to have a real bad time, which will hurt Putin. Like not to say that these things would not be painful to Russia, but it's not saying, no, if you cross into this territory, we will marshal the, the United States military and we will make this we, we we will be willing to push it even further. Uh, the other side of this is the UK. And so that's why we go to our UK correspondent, <laughs> Tom Merritt. Uh, while uh, we are very aware of for listeners of this show, the trials and tribulations of the Biden administration, it is worth saying that uh, things are equally as hairy in the UK for uh, uh, their leader, Boris Johnson. And so you get a lot of the same theories that this is a total distraction from his perspective. This is something else that I, yes, that I don't really understand, which is uh, Boris Johnson is, is uh, 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 in trouble because he's not sorry enough for party rocking. Uh, well, as a Floridian, I could see why you would, uh, you would see it that way, uh, Justin. Uh, yeah. Boris Johnson is, is one of those Teflon politicians who usually can just get away with anything. Uh, but I don't know if the, the UK populace just hit their limit uh, or what, but there were some slightly over the line uh, organizations uh, of people at the at, at number 10 Downing Street during strict lockdown when the rest of the UK was being told you can't even go see your, your dying grandpa. Uh, sorry, you got to stay home. Uh, the people at number 10 were gathering together and having drinks. That's a really bad look when you look. You are you are you are deliberately avoiding the P word. The party? Yes. That, 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 that seems to be at least in my following. That well, is, that, that is, that is the dividing line. There's either an office gathering that happened to have I don't even drinks. think you have to is go to the party. Let, let, let me take you on the journey that, that, that I, I, was, I was planning here. Uh, you, what, what tends to get overlooked and maybe rightly so is that the employees in number 10 were considered frontline workers, hence them being there at all. 
Uh, yeah. So they were allowed to gather for work reasons. It's Christmas. They're already in the same room. How much harder is it? Uh, yeah, how much more dangerous would it be to lift a glass to each other? And that's where it gets into whether they were just doing that, which technically was still against the rules. And that would be enough for people to get upset or whether it was described as a party, which makes it sound like a rager uh, where everybody's, you know, uh, copying their butts on the Xerox machine and, and dance it around while everyone else is in lockdown. I don't think it matters either way. Uh, Whether, whether it was a party or whether they were having drinks, I think what really got people upset is it was violating lockdown. Other people were told they can't even leave their house uh, and and here are people kind of flouting the exception they've been granted in order to work for the country to do things that looked irresponsible. Boris Johnson gave, did what he normally does, which is give some maybe slightly disingenuous sounding apologies uh, and uh, didn't stick this time. So lucky for Boris that he could go look all statesmanlike and uh, and jump over to be uh, part of the Ukraine thing because. I'm not saying that's what saved his political career, but it was a knife's edge whether he was going to get a vote of no confidence from the conservative party. Uh, there were enough people already saying they would vote for no confidence publicly that there were probably close to enough privately that it could happen. Uh, and that has kind of simmered down now. It has it kind of gone away, uh, partly, not entirely, but partly because of, of the distraction of, well, we've got to focus on on a possible war in Europe for the first time, you know, since Bosnia. And well, so, yeah, so, and that, and that you know, for biggest since World War II, there's there's a lot of qualifiers there. Uh, that's an angle on this that I hadn't really considered that the. Um, uh, we've talked about this phenomenon every so often I'll get a phone call from a fan and it'll be a very, uh, confusing exchange because they'll ask me a question. I'll give them an answer. They'll say, thank you. And then hang up and then they'll call back again and ask, uh, a slightly more interesting question. And then I have like three or four more ready to go. And I, and, and I used to be very confused by all this. And then I realized, Oh, wait, they don't actually want answers. What they want is they're logging every second they're on the phone with me and uh, they're bull riding essentially. Right. So the idea that the conversation itself is the ultimate aim is something that I hadn't considered with this particular conflict, because as it's laid out right now, first of all, all three parties are getting something that the leadership of all three parties are, are getting something they want. Russia is getting uh, the conversation being about how tough and mighty they are and about how potent and powerful and dangerous their military can be, uh, you know, uh, uh, biggest since Boris. World War Two. Right, exactly. And then and then Biden, you know, uh, uh, certainly uh, whatever's happening beneath the surface, if this is if if the Ukraine is a neutral jungle gym to to tussle with with each other, then uh, uh, whatever conversations they're having. What if the the world pauses and talks only about like, well, what would the U.S. do against the might of Russia? Uh, I, I, I kind of feel like they're getting what they want. They're bull riding and, and, and the whole world has stopped talking about anything else but this. Even and don't, we don't forget what we're talking about. Uh, not only does Boris Johnson benefit, not only does President Biden benefit, but President Putin benefits. January 23rd, they arrested 3000 people across Russia for protests. Biggest number of protests in the history of uh, of, of Putin's ruling as either president or prime minister, uh, because Alexei Navalny has been thrown in jail. He is the, the primary opposition person leading the opposition to Putin. Uh, and so it's not a bad time for Putin to distract attention from his own domestic issues. It's if there is in fact no war, but a bunch of rhetoric, like you say, Brian, everybody wins. Well, and especially Joe Biden, right? So this is where the analogy to Syria falls apart a little bit, because with Syria, we were trying to change that government. We're trying to maintain a government in Ukraine. So if there is no war, Joe Biden can say, look at me. We did it. I'm the best diplomat there is. All of Team Blue will be like, oh, they're the best. Like the U.S. stopped this war from happening and they can declare victory by honestly ratcheting up the rhetoric to the point that we're the ones pushing this war storyline. And then when we fix it, then all of a sudden we get a win it, well, it but, but even, but even then, uh, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, Wednesday, the, the, or sorry, Tuesday, rather the story was from the Kremlin 
that we are pulling back troops. And they even made a point to say to credit the United States for uh, leaving diplomatic channels open and they are willing to work on it. Wednesday, both the UK and the United States says, nope, they're lying. They're moving more troops in there. So it's like that's where, again, I I, I just that seemed if, if we're going to go with that uh, line, Jen, and say that this is the United States and the, and, and, and the UK working in concert to ratchet everything up. So when it doesn't happen, which it was never going to happen, they can say, look at us, the grand negotiators. We are the best. Uh, we avoided the biggest uh, war since World War Two in Europe. Uh, uh, aren't we great? Pat ourselves on the back. If that were the case, you would think that when Russia says, yep. You guys, uh, uh, thank you for leaving the things open. We're all packing up and going home now or or beginning to do it, that they would take the lifeline. Well, the Ukraine bill hasn't passed into law yet. The one that authorizes the next 500 million and all the weapons. So I feel like victory will come after that is signed, because in Congress, that's the goal they want. There is a faction that wants far more weapons to be sold and given to Ukraine. So I don't think we're going to see this yet. If that theory is even correct. Um, I am curious, did you guys in the States hear about the February 16th thing where our government was saying like, we know there's going to be an invasion and it's going to be on February 16th. Yeah. Uh, Yes, we did. Mostly because (laughs) I believe it was a journalist from the Associated Press. What went viral was him dressing down the state department spokesman saying that it was a dumb laughable the the idea he called it alex jones nonsense that uh to okay. for, for, for people who didn't uh, uh say it it essentially was what was floated out from the state department was that there would there would be a false flag event that that was the russian plan and that a that that would a, be a faked atrocity yeah and th- and that that would be the yeah. pretext for uh to draw the united states or to draw ukraine into the war so russia wouldn't start the conflict it would be ukraine that would start the conflict blah 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 and ukraine shelling was, in the donbass would require russia to go in would require russia. russia to go yeah. in and yeah and so it was prevented fairly evidence free it was uh uh you know the fancy version of many people are saying uh it just came out <laughs> with many intelligence people are saying that everyone knows this is gonna happen everybody knows uh yeah so yeah no that that but it largely went viral for my in my sphere because uh, somebody from, you know, a nonpartisan quote unquote uh, outlet like the Associated Press had such an animated and aggressive response to the state or to I forget okay. it was the, the State Department or the Pentagon uh, that that he that he dressed down. Because the way so, that it's playing over here, which is really interesting, is there's this attitude of the U.S. is doing it again, like hearkening back to the Iraq war days where yeah. we're saying stuff that it's evidence free. Um, and so the fact that our government gave a date and then the date came and went and nothing happened, our government is losing a lot of legitimacy right now. So maybe if Vladimir Putin was planning to invade circumstances change in situations like this. So he's also seeing the same thing I'm seeing in the press where the U S our legitimacy is getting hammered. And so maybe if that's one of his goals, maybe that brings us back from the brink of whatever the hell the Biden administration is seeing. So that's the thing. We are in this really precarious situation and it takes one mistake on either side to have bullets start to fly. So it's, I don't want to say that I think that nothing will happen because the longer this continues, the more dangerous it is. But the longer this continues and the longer the Biden administration says this is imminent and then it doesn't happen, the rest of the world is looking at America like we can't trust these people. And that works out for Putin. But but it does. Term, of course, they are getting exactly all three parties, you know, US, UK and, and Russia are getting what they want. And I think that the transformative moment uh, of this discussion for me was even entertaining the possibility that this this about to be a thing thing is the point of the about well, to be look i i get it for putin i even get it for boris because again like like that that is a moment where because of their system you know uh, you just have enough people at enough cocktail parties that uh, all agree on a thing and all of a sudden his career is is over uh i don't get it for biden like i i think i think that they look 
stupid. I, I think that this looks dumb. I think that they look incompetent. I think that they I, look like they are moonwalking their way into a war that nobody really understands. I'm, I'm, but they totally are zealous to accept that at face value that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, like, but like, I think, but, but I think we're discounting how how we have elected people that are zealots about this expansion of NATO. Um, Joe Biden, Victoria Nuland, Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, they're all in on this. So even though the country really isn't, when it comes to NATO expansion, every time they've done it, the United States has just like, eh, like we don't care. So with that being their experience, they don't see the American people as really having a lot of opinions about this. I mean, this is the first time in my lifetime that I've heard people or interact with people on Twitter. You can see the breaking points people. They're talking about NATO expansion as if it's not the wisest move for the first time I've ever seen that conversation in the United States. I think for them, they do want Ukraine in NATO and they have for yeah. a long time. So that is actually, even though the rest of us are like, well, it's so never going to happen. Is, yeah. So th- this is, this is one of those things that, that the Obama state department, uh, uh, we're going to understand that a lot of this core comes from there. That is just one yeah. of those things like, like Iran, where it's like, they are just dead set on, we need more normalized it, uh, 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 relations with Iran. We need this expansion. It's just a, a state department goal for which they want to achieve. Yeah. And I, I have the testimony to back that up. I watched them tell Congress, like, we will not give in on this idea that Ukraine won't be welcomed into NATO. They're very adamant about it. I think it's a huge factor. Let, let I think me, to, let me to back say, up the NATO thing real, real quickly, uh, this, is, this has been going on for a long time, basically since the dissolution of, of the Soviet Union. When the Warsaw Pact countries like Poland came in, Russia wasn't real happy with it, but they they sort of, especially back then, because it was before Putin uh, was, was involved at the top levels, they sort of said, well, as long as you don't take the former Soviet Union, and then 2004, Lithuania goes in, Estonia and, and Latvia go in around the same time. Since then, that's when Putin got upset and said, oh, you shouldn't be taking the former Soviet Union into NATO. You need to stop this. And the pressure have been building up on both sides, like Jen's been describing, I think, very well since then, which is where are you going to stop? You're not going to take Ukraine. And NATO says, I don't know, that's up to Ukraine. Uh, and we we would we would like to push Ukraine into being amenable to it. But but that's what this is about, uh, as well as I, I want to throw in here Alexander Lukashenko, too, in, in, in Belarus. Uh, he's been president of Belarus since 1994. Uh, so it's, it's not a democracy. Uh, it's not a shock that there was maybe a, he's a big, really, really, really bummed that Cobain died and he had just hasn't gotten away to transfer. And he can't get over it. That's quite yeah. possible. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there is a there is a, a, a movement that got a little traction uh, last year. You may have heard about. Uh, in Belarus, which I think Jen does a great job of, of describing, you know, what the U.S.'s uh, role and interests are in that. Uh, on Russia's side, they see Lukashenko as sort of a, a little bit of a wild card that they need to keep under control, which is another reason they do these military exercises in Belarus. It's not just because Belarus and them are, are big friends. It's to, to remind Belarus uh, that that Russia has all of these troops, but also they are allied and, and they want to say, like, we will come to your aid uh, here. And, and that's another good timing for for Putin to say this helps me keep Lukashenko firmly in power in Belarus uh, where I want him and stop any U.S. plans to to try to unseat him. Yeah. And I can't stop thinking about how Putin took Crimea in 2014 because his Black Sea fleet, like we keep talking about the Russian invasion of Crimea. He didn't have to invade. He was already there. The Black Sea fleet was in Crimea. So now he has these troops all over Belarus like you kind of can control a place if yeah. your military's all over it. And Donbass too, <laughs> right? Point. Yeah. 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 Uh, two things. Uh, number one, one of the things I realized on the episode that posted for patrons yesterday was that my new North star on all of this was that I'm not going to go further emotionally than the Ukrainian president is. And, and Zelensky <laughs> from the jump has been like, this is not an invasion. We don't believe we're going to be invaded. It, it was a news story that he said, well, we're going to be invaded on the 16th because he was sarcastically joking about how the state department was saying that that was the day that the invasion was going to be. So it's like, 
I, I, I just, I can't get more worked up than the guy who, by the way, if we're talking about invasion, Invasion means that he either flees the country and is a leader in exile, flees the country and is labeled a coward for the rest of his life, or spends the rest of his existence in Russian clutches, which, by the way, ask Navalny, is not exactly Club Med, right? Like, you know, like, this is not, he has maybe the most to lose, and he, uh, you know, even in some of the Sunday shows, they had a guy on, on ABC's This Week who's in Kiev. And uh, his whole report was like, yeah, um, everyone's just kind of chilling. They uh, they all went out. It was Saturday night. It was pretty lit. Uh, nobody really thinks that this is going to be an invasion. Back to you, George. And it's like, if that's what's happening on the Sunday shows, which are about as much messaging from the media and, and the government as 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 it gets here in, in the U.S., like, I, I can't get any more worked up than than what the Ukrainian people or the Ukrainian president are about this. Sudetenland? I don't know. I don't know. That's the only yeah. response I have. To it. All right. Last question I here. Agree. And then, and then, Actually, and then we will wrap up. Oh, sorry. All right. I, I, I just want to, uh, in case anybody doesn't know, cause I know y'all know this already, but, but folks should realize that Zelensky being president of Ukraine is like Julia Louis Dreyfus being president yes. of the United States of America. <laughs> he literally played the president of Ukraine on a show called servant of the people up until 2019 when he was elected president of Ukraine. Like I just, I, if folks don't out there don't know that that's just a, it's it a was, nice yeah, and it was, it was about a regular dude who becomes president because yes. the, because the government is so corrupt and then he literally runs for president and now has been wrapped up in two international scandals between the impeachment situation and, and this where both times it just feels like he's just Jim from the office looking into the camera. Also and, the political saying, party, what? he named the political party. He actually ran for president on after the political party from the TV show. So <laughs> yes, I mean, that is, I didn't know that for what that's worth. Yeah. The, the dude, the dude is a, 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 an influencer through and through. Uh, all right. Last question. We'll go around the panel on this for really the last, uh, uh, I guess, 15, 20 years now, as Putin has been involved in government, it feels like he has been labeled as varying different versions of a cartoon character. Like he is either, you know, uh, maybe a, a bit steely eyed, but somebody that America can work with. That was like the the Bush era version of it. And then he became more dangerous as he was in power longer and longer and longer uh, through the Trump administration. He was the the comical spy master who had, uh, you know, puppet strings everywhere and was literally controlling the president of the United States by way of blackmail. And now he is the guy who wants to start the largest military incursion since since World War II. For you personally, Brian Brushwood, are any do any of those gloves fit for you, or do you feel in any way comfortable having any sense of what this guy is or what his leadership is? I mean, uh, by by all indications, uh, he's an extraordinarily politically savvy individual. I have I have no doubt that those skills don't exactly evaporate instantly as you age. But I do know, having aging parents, that uh, aging parents get bored and sometimes <laughs> just want to kick an ant hill. Uh, so. That that's more what I'm seeing is somebody who has all the power and there's only one thing he won't do, which is step down. So, yep. you know, I don't know. Let's kick some of this. Why not? Uh, Jen, what's what, what is what is your take uh, on on who is Vladimir Putin? I have no idea, having never been to Russia. And like I I when I look at the myth around Vladimir Putin, I still go back to how convenient it was for Democrats to explain away Hillary losing. And they were already pissed because of Syria and because of, you know, just Vladimir Putin pushing back on us in certain places where we wanted to do regime changes, Ukraine and Syria being the top two examples of that in the Obama administration. So they were pissed at him. They made him the devil. It took some of the responsibility off of Hillary, or at least they thought so. And it's just a convenient boogeyman when you look at the people in our Congress and in our government that really do need to justify our enormous military budget and how many weapons we buy. We need an enemy to 
to justify all of it. So I think it's really not about him. I think the myth serves a domestic political purpose. There was a moment when I was descending on my flight to the DNC in 2016, and it was right after the email hack. And uh, I think it was Robbie Mook who was on one of the Sunday shows as I was as I was landing uh, or, or morning talk show. And he it was the first time that I had ever heard them go all in on this was a Russian uh, thing and they are obviously in league with Trump and and uh, we are being targeted because they don't want to see Hillary Clinton in the presidency. And I remember chuckling to myself saying like the Russians really we're going with the <laughs> Russians like geez like that seems a bit of a stretch not knowing that we are still on this train. We are still <laughs> on the Russians did it uh, Tom uh, for you who is who is who is Vlad. Who is Vlad to you? Yeah, uh, same as Jen. I don't really know. I never met the guy. <laughs> I've never been to Russia either. Uh, to me, he seems like a a baby boomer. Uh, in his in his eyes, he's like, man, I used to be a communist. I used to like be really powerful in the KGB, and that felt good, man. Back in the eighties. Things were great. Uh, you know who got respect back then? Gorbachev and Brezhnev and Khrushchev and Stalin. Uh, I, I want to be like them. I want to be like the greatest Soviet generation, except without the communism. Uh, we could just have an oligopoly instead. And I go out on the world stage and I don't get the respect I deserve. And I'm a pretty strong, smart guy. So I'm going to demand that respect. Also, I'm also a really smart guy. He likes to mess with people. So I'm going to push President Trump, Biden, Obama. I don't care. Keep throwing them at me. I'm going to stay in power. I'll push all your buttons and I will bite back pieces of the Soviet Union as far as I can. That, that, that I don't know. That's my guess. Yeah, it's it's funny because, uh, Jen, uh, you have you have definitely swayed me in terms of putting together pieces of things that I knew in a more coherent narrative of. Russia being more of a target and the expansion of NATO being more of a priority for the Obama uh, state department. Uh, and, and the, that melding with the fact that despite all of the conversation around Trump and Putin, they seem, things seem to be fairly copacetic between the United States and, and, and Russia throughout those four years. And, and it would make sense based on that narrative that like, yeah, because there weren't people at the state department that were actively trying to justify, to advance these things that he would find to be uh, abhorrent or absolutely uh, uh, not going to happen. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, for me, it, it's, it's, I can't believe that we have kind of invented, I don't know about invented. Cause again, I don't know him. I agree with, I agree with all of you that like, I have no idea who he is. Uh, but also I find the caricatures very convenient. I find the, like the puppet master very convenient. Like it only kind of pops up every once in a while. Like, it's not like Tony Blair went from like, Oh, he's just kind of a feckless labor PM to like, nope, he's super smart and he's an athlete and he's got a jump shot. Like, you know, we just kind of knew what, what, it, what you know, who, who who they were in a way that Putin seems to get dialed up or dialed down, depending on who needs something at any at any given moment. Uh, Agreed. All right. There we go. We solved it. It's all done. Everybody's smarter for having uh, for having done it. I'm so mostly I am gracious by the the solid Internet connection that Jen Briney has had all the way in Portugal. Uh, uh, that has been the all star of this entire endeavor. Uh, uh, Jen, congressional dish. Uh, what, 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 what have you done recently? What do you got on the horizon? Um, I am digging through and reading every word of the infrastructure law. So I'm doing a lot of series on the infrastructure law. The last episode was about passenger rail and how that is kind of expanding in the United States. Um, a Joe Manchin project that's going to poison Appalachia, which was sort of funded. So yeah, I'm really digging through that. And um, I'm only a third of the way done. So if you want to know what was in the law, 
I'm, I'm making my way through it. And that is always, 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 always the, uh, the, the meat and potatoes of the Congressional Dish podcast. Please go and listen to it. Uh, Brian, we've got a project Heck launching yeah, in uh, the next few weeks, right? I got four words and a number. World's Greatest Con Season 2 coming mm. out. We're now able to <sighs> officially announce 228. Uh, there's a teaser trailer that will be there for 48 hours and then will be deleted. Yes. It's going to come out on the 21st. Uh, keep an eye out for it. Um, uh, yeah, I guess we've started to talk publicly. Season one was one story told in four epic chapters. Uh, season two is going to be five, an anthology of five individual tales. Each one uh, altogether. Season two is twice as long as season one. Yeah. Um, very, very excited for it. It's something good. If you're not subscribed to the world's greatest con feed, go ahead and do it now because this Monday, like Brian said, like I, I was like, Brian, we should put out a trailer and Brian gets all wild eyed and he's like, let's put out a trailer and then delete it in 48 hours. It'll get the people going. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do because I'm not in charge of, uh, of this thing. <laughs> uh, Tom, Daily Tech News Show. Uh, uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, uh, folks, uh, if you are fans of PX3, which I know you are, uh, you will have good interest in Thursday's episode of Daily mm -hmm. Tech News Show, where Justin Robert Young came on to discuss the technological aspects of the Durham filings. Uh, what, what did they really find? Why did they find it? All of that. Uh, thank you, Justin, for doing that. DailyTechNewsShow.com. I think uh, amongst all of the blaring headlines or the nothing burger explainers uh, that have surrounded that Durham filing is an extraordinarily nerdy but interesting question. Uh, is non-public DNS or non-public DNS logs spying? It's like, such a DTNS question to answer. It is I love so it. nerdy. It is so nerdy, but it, I think it is a, a legitimate question that that I, I think is something that that deserves to be asked. And of course, we talked about it on yesterday's episode uh, or the the Thursday episode of DTNS. That of course was February the seventeenth. Guys, that's it. Thank you so much for the debut episode of the uh, Political Quartet. Uh, uh, thank you to Jen Briney, Brian Brushwood, and Tom Merritt. This is your old pal. Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.